As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70 celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg, joined as always in Zoom conference by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton. Tim, the Mets take two out of four from the Padres and come out within the last two following two excellent pitching performances, a, a typically dominant outing from Jacob deGrom, going, throwing only 85 pitches over seven innings, shutting shutting down the Padres, and then and then Marcus Stroman, uh, a little bit more wild than we're accustomed to, but nonetheless uh, doing the work, beating the Padres on Sunday. You have to be feeling good about where this team is right now. It is funny how, especially, you know, those four-game series, uh, it really is how you feel about them really depends on like the order of the proceedings. Mm-hmm. Like if the Mets had gone in and won the first two in San Diego and, and they're four and one on the road trip and then they lost the last two, uh, you would have been like, oh, man, real opportunity missed. Uh, right. But because they, they did it the other way, they lost the first two, lost two close games. Uh, the first two to you, Darvish and Blake Snell. Uh, and then they came back and won the next two. Uh, that you, you feel really good about where this team is. Uh, they're four and three on the road trip. If they, if as long as they win one game in Baltimore, which sure hope they can do uh, against a team that that's been really struggling. Uh, you have a winning road trip. Any winning road trip is good, especially a three city one uh, that included a, a stop at at one of the teams that's doing the best in baseball. Uh, and you know, I thought that was a series that kind of validated uh, your idea of how good the Mets could be in the sense mm-hmm. that like. The games were tight and and well played and close uh, for the most part. Like it was, you know, it's one thing to go to to, to split a four game series where you win two to one twice and you lose nine nothing the other two. Uh, you know, they lost. Uh, I think was it by one run, by two runs, and then uh, they win a couple of, of closer games, including the the six to two one on Sunday. Uh, so. Uh, they, you know, that seemed like uh, it was the first time they'd played a good team in a while or the first time they played a, a team that we knew was really good, um, probably since Tampa. And even then, Tampa, that was the start of their 30-game uh, winning streak. So, uh, 
to see the Mets play that well against a team that we know that we expected going into the season is going to be good that had that had played very well uh, so far this season uh, kind of made you think, okay, this is a team that that the, the Mets should be a team that can contend in the National League this season. And I think it's really, I don't want to say refreshing because I don't, that says that suggests that there was freshness in the Mets offense early in the season. And, and it's not, um, it is nice to see what this team looks like, even still with all the injuries, even with Conforto and McNeil and Nimmo out, um, when Dominic Smith and James McCann and Francisco Lindor start hitting all of a sudden, uh, a lot of these offensive issues and really a lot of these injury issues seem to fall to the wayside because, uh, and you know, this is a tiny sample. It's, you know, it's just, don't, don't take this as a uh, predictor necessarily, except that, that all of those guys have, have track records as major league hitters uh, in June, which is, you know, six games so far for the Mets. Dom Smith, 375 batting average, 1272 OPS. James McCann, 333 batting average, 1222 OPS. Francisco Lindor, 346 batting average, 986 OPS. Again, small samples, but just an indication. These guys are hitting. Uh, that that is a big part of the the lineup we expected at the beginning of the season, and 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 ultimately never felt like we got. Uh, now you're starting to see some depth in this offense, and it makes you think they might start winning some of these Lucchese and Peterson type starts. Yeah, like once you, you you know we talked about it last time that that in Arizona you started to see the the most important parts of that lineup the guys who've been there for uh, who've been healthy all year but haven't been hitting uh, in Smith McCann and Lindor that they were starting to percolate and starting to come around yeah. Lindor in particular uh, that was a really important <laughs> development for uh, as he joked the other day kind of it would be nice to get home and and maybe not get booed this time. Uh, that the, the lineup has been more like major league representative than it had been previously. You've got Pete Alonso back as well, and you know his his June numbers are not quite as sparkling, but still, uh, it helps to have him back. He you know he drove in quite a few runs his first couple games back uh, at the end of May, uh, and then you know like a guy like Billy McKinney has has come in and done fine. Like you know there, there's yeah. a big difference between that like better than fine. He's been great. He's been great. He's a, like an extra base hit machine. You know you. Your your heroes in the course of a 162 game season are not necess- are not just the guys who are good for 160 games. Uh, it's also guys who are good for the right stretch of like 10 or 12 games uh, when you really need them to be. Uh, and you know even if like I, I don't know what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks with with the Mets outfield uh, when Nimmo returns, like how long they need Billy McKinney to be, uh, you know, a fifth or sixth hitter in their lineup. Um, but that he's done this so far uh, has really helped them during a time where they really needed it. Uh, in the same way that, like, Tomas Nito's brief hot stretch, you know, he's kind of fallen back to earth a little bit, uh, was at a time where the team really needed someone to, to be that good for them in the middle of their lineup, uh, and, and Nito had stepped up at that time. That's the kind of, those are the kinds of uh, under-the-radar heroes that, you, you know, you might forget about by September 30th when you're talking about a, a pennant race or... or uh, a playoff series, but those guys help help keep you afloat and help you avoid some of the longer lulls over the course of a season because they were there at the right time. Yeah, I would say that regardless of if Billy McKinney winds up on the Mets postseason roster, Billy McKinney has earned his World Series ring at this point. <laughs> yeah, what, what uh, do you think the design for the Mets World Series ring would look like? Do, do we want to talk about that or is it a little too early to get into that? 
Um, I mean, I think that you just have to make it like an all diamond likeness of David of Jacob Degrom, <laughs> right? <laughs> just like like just like the, there's not even a Mets logo on there. You just look at the ring, and it's like Jacob Degrom's face made out of like a. a zero point six two diamond uh carrot diamonds or something you know um i can't i can't imagine it wouldn't just like you just it wouldn't just be like congratulations to jacob de and 25 other guys on winning the world series (laughs) that sounds about right based off of of saturday's performance um it's a little bit of controversy uh, an unfortunate controversy and and I think kind of silly controversy stemming from that one. This is going to happen now. This is a thing. Major League Baseball has made clear that it will no longer tolerate starting pitchers, of all pitchers, uh, using foreign substances to enhance their grips on baseball. Now, this is something that has been happening for at least a decade, and I was going to say an open secret, but I don't even think it's a secret. Like it, it, um, I remember this happening in the 2013 World Series and, and, uh, you know, at that point, both Mike Matheny and John Farrell being like, yeah, it's the thing that happens. Uh, I believe there was video of, of Clay Buckles at one point, uh, spraying himself down with sunscreen in a game in Toronto with the roof closed. Um, it came up again in the 2018, uh, World Series between the, between the Red Sox and the Astros. Uh, you know, well, neither team would, would would escape that one unscathed for, with its reputation, but uh, not for Pine Tar. It was uh, it was Matt Barnes in one of those games. There had like very clearly had Pine Tar on his arm, um, and both AJ Hint, Hinch and Alex Cora were like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't care. No one cares." Um, this has been a, a you know something that uh, I think if you ask a lot of hitters in Major League Baseball. Until, you know, at least recently, now that we have some some indication that uh, enhancing grip can enhance spin and, and as such makes the pitchers more effective, um, before that, hitters were okay with it because they said, this guy's throwing 101, I'd rather he have some control of, of where it's going. And so if if he needs a little bit of pine tar, then, then it's okay. Now, Jacob deGrom uh, was just adjusting his belt. Uh, at some one point in the game, and and some some Twitter sleuths uh, clipped video of it and said like, oh, here is Jacob Degrom using foreign substances, and uh, you won't hear about this one because as if as though as though there's like some conspiracy to protect the Mets' reputation. Like, that's a thing that might exist. Like, you're only going to hear about Bauer and Cole and not Jacob deGrom because no one would ever go after the, the pristine Mets like that. Um, but but what was interesting about this was the um, the incredible support that, that came from deGrom's teammates to a man. Basically, every Met who is in any way active on Twitter came out and said, like, no, I I know for a fact he does not use anything uh, to enhance his grip. Um, and, you know, we, we've come to doubt, I think, understandably, statements from Major League Baseball players or professional athletes in general when they pertain to things that could be perceived as cheating. Um, and again, I would say this is of even if it if it's happening um, with DeGrom or with, I mean, it's certainly happening with someone on the Mets because I think that, you know, the estimates have been that 70 to 75% of pitchers are using something to enhance their grip. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't call this cheating. I would just say it's a thing that, uh, a, a rule that the league is in the process of changing and never enforced before. Um, but it, it sure sounds like DeGrom's not doing it, at least based on, on, uh, how adamant 
his catchers and and many of his his pitching teammates were uh, almost to the extent that I, it made me wonder if there if it's like a curiosity that Jacob Degrom doesn't use something to enhance his grip. Yeah, it's funny. Like you, you can go back to I mean, you, you said thirteen and eighteen. You can go back to like two thousand six. Remember the smudge on Kenny Rogers' palm that postseason? All too uh, well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, like this is the kind of atmosphere that Major League Baseball has created by. Uh, I, I guess ignoring the problem for long enough that it it gained the the pervasive traction uh, among pitchers, and obviously Trevor Bauer has been uh, very very big in uh, bringing it to the forefront of the public consciousness, um, and then saying kind of in vague terms like that that we're going to crack down on this by uh, kind of doing like this amateur sleuthing of like checking baseball savants spin rates. <laughs> Which right. is something that anyone can do, uh, and that um, I, I think it's difficult to know, like what is uh, a meaningful jump in spin rate. Uh, you know, like Bauer uh, with with uh, in late 2019 with Cincinnati had like the one start or, or the experimental inning or something where where his yeah he said he was going to do it. He basically, you know, he, he like he tweeted that I, I'm about to do this thing, and then like watch me do it, and then it happened. Right. Uh, and then continued that through last season. DeGrom, if you look at his his fastball spin rates over time, uh, they've, they, he, he has gotten more spin on his fastball. 2021 is behind 2020 so far. Uh, his last two starts this year have been uh, his ones with the highest spin rate, but they haven't been these enormous, you know, they've been within what is, in my understanding, like a reasonable range of, of spin. Uh, I think uh, it's interesting, like, from 2017 to 2018, he had the exact same spin on his his four seam spin rate, uh, his four seamer, uh, and that's over the course of you know 1250, 1300 fastballs. Uh, they ended up with the exact same average spin rate, uh, and that was the year he took his big leap, you know, t- in 2018. So I, I don't think there's the kind of uh, s- there's this kind of smoke there with him. Uh, at least via baseball savant sleuthing uh, that that the sport seems to be uh, promoting, uh, that there would be uh, with, with some other players. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, not just with, with DeGrom, but with any Mets player, now that we hear baseball is looking into it kind of more deeply and cra- thinking of cracking down in the near term, uh, how those spin rates change uh, going forward. We've already seen some player, you know, Bauer, for instance, uh, in his latest start, his spin rate was down. Uh, 200 mm-hmm. revolutions per minute after being up 300 to 400 uh, for a few years now. Uh, so that, that'll be worth monitoring a little bit. Uh, but you're going to get a bunch of uh, Twitter moments like like last night's uh, and, and like the one that, that, you know, with the Padres and you Darvish where everyone is going to look at every little place a pitcher puts his hand uh, while, you know, before he throws a pitch. Uh, and is it to get a a substance on there uh, that is something beyond, you know, the kind of bullfrog sunscreen and rosin that that I think most pitchers and most hitters would be okay with because it's hard to regulate uh, sunscreen. I, I, I remember you can't that. regulate sunscreen. Guys have to play. There's no shade on the pitcher's mound. You right. You can't just be like, go get burned. You can't do that. <laughs> I remember the the Buckholtz one happening in the the closed Rogers Center. That was uh, during his like. Uh, incredible run to start the 09 season where he looked kind of the way DeGrom does now uh, for a brief period of time. Uh, and Jack Morris in particular taking uh, offense at that. Um, but, you know, I, I think 
Eno Saris at The Athletic has written really well about this for a while now that, you know, it's it's not it's something beyond sunscreen and rosin, which is what guys have been doing using for a long time. It's, it's something even mm-hmm. beyond like pine tar. It's uh, things like uh, what was it? Uh, spider tech grip or something yeah. like that. Uh, yes, yeah, sp- like, spider tech. I you think. Can, yeah. You know, the kinds of things you you could see on like uh, an infomercial where they're showing a guy picking up a cement block without like <laughs> just sticking his hand down on it. Uh, that's the kind of stuff. Uh, that that some people are using and is allowing, uh, you know, just better manipulation of the baseball. Uh, you know, you talk about some great pitchers over time, like Degrom has such long fingers, the same way Pedro Martinez had really long fingers, which allows him to manipulate the baseball in different ways. Uh, and that's something that uh, other pitchers who don't have those kind of genetic advantages uh, and physical advantages are able to achieve through uh, foreign substances. Uh, it, it's going to be a main topic of conversation in the sport, really, probably for the for the rest of this season, uh, and and we'll see how uh, Major League Baseball handles it and if they handle it any better than they have to this point. Yeah, I am reminded of I think it was at the beginning of the 2017 season a uh, a pitch that that bounced and was blocked by Yadier Molina and stuck to his <laughs> chest right. protector. Um, like, and, and I, you know, I have some familiarity with, with pine tar and rosin and sunscreen. I don't think any of those things are going to get a baseball to just like, to just stick on its own to the chest protector. Like I'm waiting for the time a guy makes contact with the baseball and it just sticks to the bat. Like that's what I want to see. Um, so, so that's, you know, uh, and I remember reading about this in, in the context, this is sort of off topic, but in the context of the, the George Brett pine tar home run, um, that there actually is an advantage to having your, your bat be very sticky on the barrel, because, um, even if it's a split second that there, you know, that the, 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 there is more friction or whatever, like keeping, keeping the bat and ball in contact, it will increase the. I don't. I don't think that at the time I read this that exit velocity was a was a term yet. But you will, in theory, hit the ball harder if your bat's a little stickier. Um, so you know, I, I don't know why you wouldn't be spider tacking your bat. It is amazing to me how much uh, I regret not like caring more about physics now that I'm a baseball writer. That's you know, yeah. I I knew. Uh, that I would always regret not like keeping up with my Spanish, uh, and that that. Has obviously that's my my uh, biggest regret. Yeah, yeah, go on. Like I'd I'd be better at this job if I if I st- if I spoke Spanish, uh, but also infinitely be better, infinitely better. But yeah, I'd, I'd be better at this job if I uh, understood uh, a lot more about physics than I remember from uh, my AP physics class junior year of high school, in which I, I I took it and I never thought about it again. Yeah, I uh, I'm right with you there, especially now that people are like there like it's like every week there's a new word for a baseball thing that like magnus spin or something right like they're you know and like they're like ah no i'm just gonna i I don't know i feel like if i were a younger man and and still hungry for for this information i would seek it out at at my age i'm just like ah you know there's probably something to this and like this is for smarter people to figure out (laughs) because i'll just i'll just i'll just watch the baseball i'm sure whatever jacob Degrom's doing is working um they should everyone should try to do that yeah that that's I was so happy to finish my physics my, my physics career in high school. Same with chemistry. Bio was fine. Physics and chemistry, no, no. 
Uh, yeah, I nearly I uh, came very close to failing bio my <laughs> senior year of high school. I, I I didn't do any of my labs, uh, but that's a you know. And then and then I um, I believe I covered my my science requirement in college with like animal behavior and astronomy. And astronomy was an eight a.m. lecture uh, in the dark. And so every <laughs> every single person in the class would just be asleep for the entire thing. Um, Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. We have a question from Corey, and so it pertains to some of the things we've spoken about today. Uh, Corey emailed to ask, now that we're in June and pretty much all proven wrong about the Mets bullpen, he so uh, I should have read the introduction to his email. He said, Ted, at the start of the season, you, Tim, and basically all of us thought the bullpen was going to be this team's Achilles heel. Now that we're in June and pretty much all proven wrong, I would I would pump the brakes on saying proven. There's a lot of time for this bullpen to go awry, but um, Corey wants to know, do we need to talk about Jeremy Hefner being maybe a phenomenal coach? I always liked him as a player, but I also do not know how much influence a pitching coach really has. Our staff is performing up and down the roster. Doesn't that at least have something to do with him? Tim, you tell me because I can't answer this question. I don't know. Yeah, like I, I think... Uh you know, when the Mets hired Jeremy Hefner, there he had gotten such good reviews from uh, pitchers in Minnesota uh, for his work with them when he was their bullpen coach. And I, I remember going to uh, Twins Camp in the spring of, of 2020 and talking to a bunch of them, including Trevor May, who had had great things to say about Jeremy Hefner then, uh, and just the way he's able to to work with you and instill confidence in the pitcher you want to be and kind of uh, speaks your language. Whether it's it, if you're a guy like May who is really into analytics. Uh, Hefner can do a deep dive with you if you're there are some other guys uh, who aren't as into analytics and, and he can he can meet you at that level as well. I think in his first season, I, ta- I talked to Hefner just the other day uh, and, and we were talking about um, Robert Gazelman a little bit. Uh, and he said, you know, that they had seen some things with Gazelman last year and they wondered, you know, could, you know, Gazelman is a, a sinker ball pitcher. Could he uh, work as a guy who also threw a four-seamer up in the zone with a curveball? You know, they're kind of the Gazelman pitches kind of like a classic 1990s, early 2000s pitcher. Uh, can he pitch more like a, a 2020 pitcher up in the zone with, you know, changing eye levels uh, and pitching more north-south than just east-west? Uh, and they tried to implement those changes and didn't really work. You know, 2020 in particular being a difficult year to implement changes for anyone. Uh, just because of the the stops and starts, because of the condensed season, uh, that there just wasn't a lot of innings for a guy to work through something. Uh, you didn't have a, a normal spring training for that to happen. Uh, so 
you know, with Gazelman, with Steven Matz, who, the, who Hefner and the Mets were trying to do uh, some pretty significant changes with uh, in terms of his repertoire, uh, like those things did not work as, as well as planned. Uh, they were, you know, obviously for those guys in 2020. Uh, and so uh, it was kind of, you know, at least in terms of Gazelman, it was like back to the drawing board. Okay, how can we make him uh, better at what he's already good at? Uh, which is that east-west movement that's getting his sinker back in the proper spot and, and you know, kind of ditching that four-seam fastball for Gazelman allows him to find the arm slot that he's best at with that two-seam fastball. Two-seams and four-seams is very difficult to to throw both really well. And, we've you know, some Mets are able to do it, Taiwan Walker, uh, chief among them. But uh, Gazelman is better now because he's just he's the, kind of being the guy uh, that he was in 2016 and to an extent at times in 2018 and 2019 for the Mets. Uh, and without worrying about that that other stuff. And I think that speaks to Hefner's adaptability as a coach that, you know, he, he's not just thinking like, well, this is the way you're going to succeed uh, and it didn't work last year. Let's try it again harder this year. Uh, it's finding what, what works for a guy and what makes him uh, most comfortable. Yeah, I also to say to Corey's point that uh, Hefner was a guy that I also, you know, for, by, by the standards of like this sort of like, um, middle of the road type starters the Mets had in those years when they went through a lot of them. Uh, I think Hefner was a guy a lot of people really liked watching pitch. He just he um he had he had the feel of a guy who would someday be a good pitching coach in that he uh didn't really have overpowering stuff by any stretch of the imagination, but he threw a bunch of different pitches. Uh, he largely threw strikes. And he was, uh, he, you know, he gave, he gave you the feeling of uh, a guy who was doing every single thing he could to win those games. And, you know, there are physical limitations on 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 all pitchers, but he wasn't a guy who was going to blow his, you know, 98 past anybody. But uh, nonetheless, a guy who who pitched some really good games for the Mets. So I hope I would say I don't know what his relationship is, is like, you know, uh, I haven't been in the room since Hefner has been the Mets pitching coach but um I hope he's a good pitching coach it would be cool if the Mets have found like their Leo Mazzoni and they could just park him rocking back and forth on the bench uh next to Luis Rojas for the next 40 years or whatever it is yeah and and I think it's important to remember with with pitching coaches with hitting coaches that uh you can be really good with some members of the roster and struggle more with other members of the roster uh like you go to to back to, to when Dave Island was the Mets pitching coach, like Dave Island uh, was great with Jacob deGrom and Zach Wheeler. Uh, you know, you look at what those two guys have done uh, since they started working with Island in 2018, where they made some small adjustments to their mechanics uh, in that spring. It took Wheeler a longer time to adapt to them than it took deGrom. And they, they just took off like they have two of the, you know, deGrom has been the best pitcher in baseball since then. Wheeler, I think you can make a case has been the best, you know, a top 10 pitcher since then. And, and certainly mm-hmm. he's been by wins above replacement, like a top five pitcher in baseball since the start of 2020. Uh, but, you know, Island didn't have the same kind of great uh, <laughs> progressive relationship uh, with, with Noah Syndergaard, where he kept getting better and better. You know, Syndergaard struggled uh, a little bit more uh, in 19 and 20, uh, or sorry, in 18 and 19 uh, with, with with Island and they just didn't kind of meet at the same level as, as the other guys did. So, you know, different styles work for different, different pitchers for different hitters. Uh, and as adaptable as you, you may be, there's probably still uh, a guy or two on your team that, that you're not connecting with entirely the way you do with the other guys. Uh, but you know, with, with Hefner to this point, uh, 
you know, as much as you know, I feel like I say this every time we do this, like in so much as I can figure out, uh, which is not the same as a normal level, you know, access is changing for us uh, moving forward. I think starting today um, and, and starting in that series in Baltimore, we'll see how it goes. We're allowed to talk to players on the field uh, before the game. Uh, you know, we'll, I think Hefner does have a strong relationship. You hear players bring him up uh, kind of unsolicited at times. You hear Luis Rojas talk about how he helps him all the time. Uh, so I think it is uh, a case of a, a pitching coach, uh, you know, a young, relatively inexperienced pitching coach when the Mets hired him, growing into that role a little bit more in a second year that cer- clearly the circumstances surrounding it are easier than that first year. I guess if you wanted to go back to Rick Peterson, you could say that, you know, some pitchers would uh, do best driving fancy Italian sports cars and other pitchers might prefer driving, you know, big American luxury cars. And, you know, so some pitching coaches are, are going to be a Maserati um, and, and uh, the, the Maserati drivers among them, uh, among the pitching staff will flourish, whereas, you know, other pitching coaches are, are a Cadillac and, and uh, best serve those, uh, those American luxury car drivers among the pitchers or something. Some sort of extremely long metaphor <laughs> for Rick Peterson's tenure as a Mets pitching coach. Congratulations on bringing up Rick Peterson and not mentioning the name of a certain uh, former Devil Rays pitcher uh, who he is forever tied to in Mets history and cannot escape. Um, and another, I mean, two, I mean, there's two that former Devil Rays pitchers that he's tied to, right? One on either side of the trade, one in the news yesterday on for, for unfortunate reasons, but Scott Casimir, uh, DFA'd by the San Francisco Giants, still pitching Scott Casimir, uh, traded away for Victor Zambrano. I'm actually, uh, I'm joining a different podcast later tonight where, um, they watch old games and the, and, and old Mets games and talk about them. And the game we're watching is, is, one from from 2005. So I have been spending a lot of time looking at the 2005 Mets roster and remembering uh, that was like Victor Zambrano's one full season in the Mets rotation. Uh, have you ever spoken to Rick Peterson? Uh, no, I, I haven't. He will talk to you. He is an interesting guy. He's a very interesting guy. And uh, if you if you ever get the opportunity to talk to him, I would say definitely do it and definitely leave like the next hour and a half open. <laughs> That's still, uh, but that, you that will is, get some stories. You will get some stories. That is preferable to the other kind of uh, talker in baseball, <laughs> the, the guy who doesn't say anything. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can ask nine questions in a, a minute and a half the way I have in several interviews. Uh, I don't even know that you need to ask Rick Peterson a question. Just turn on the rec- recorder and put it in front of him and he will go. You know, I'm looking at Victor Zambrano's stats here. He threw, He pitched way more for the 05 Mets than I remember. Like, I didn't. I, you know, he qualified for the ERA title, made made 27 starts, uh, decent starts. The ERA plus was 99. Uh, I remember just remember hating every part of that trade from the minute it was rumored uh, in 2004. It was, it was like the rare deal where it's like this deal was clearly horrible at the time. It was horrible in retrospect. It's hard. Like everybody knew. I mean, Scott Casimir was better than Victor Zambrano at the time of the trade. He was just younger. Right. And it was like everybody knew that Casimir was a they even if they were down on Casimir because of what the music he wanted to play in the clubhouse or whatever else, um, you could get more. You just had to be able to get more. It's still very frustrating. I happened to be at the game and it's something I'll never forget. And um, and it's something I've seen a couple of times since. And it's actually a really sort of a sad thing to think about. But I was at the game when when Victor Zambrano threw a pitch and then just ran off the mound. 
um, because he knew he had torn his UCL, I think. Um, and and it's sort of unfortunate. But I, being at the game when you don't hear the the broadcast, uh, we were like, "What the heck just happened?" Like he just he just threw a pitch and just jogged right off the field. Like he knew he was done, uh, which can't be a good feeling. Um, and, and I don't know, I don't know if that was in, in the beginning of 2006 or the end of 2005 and then 2006 was, uh, was his, his return, but whatever it was, it was like a, definitely an experience I will never forget. I remember like sitting in the mezzanine level at Shea Stadium and watching it happen. 2005 Mets third in the National League in ERA behind Pedro Martinez, Tom Glavin, Chris Benson, Victor Zambrano. Uh, and Jay Young So more than than Kaz Ishii. Ishii was not very good for them uh, early that season, and So was was really good for them second half. I do not remember that team being that good a pitching team. <laughs> I remember Pedro, but that was about it. Um, Aaron Heilman also very good for that team. Was that speaking of year? names that speaking of names that Mets fans don't want to hear? I I remember Aaron Heilman's. That was the year he threw the one hitter right early in the season. I believe season. so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because that was, I was visiting uh, colleges. Uh, so I was spending the night uh, at uh, Princeton University that night um, in April of 2005. That was my senior year. Uh, and I remember being like, wait, Aaron Heilman through what? I missed that game? Um, you know, and, and then, uh, and I, I don't know. I was going to make some sort, of, some sort of elitism joke about Princeton. But, uh, you know. Whatever. There, I, I didn't want to go to that jerk school for jerks anyway, I guess is my point. <laughs> uh, Tim, we should probably wrap up. If you have a question for the Metrospective podcast, please do ask it of us. We would love to answer it on the air. Uh, Tim is on Twitter at Tim Britton. I am at OG Ted Berg. You can email me a question at asktedberg at gmail.com. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else. We appreciate your time and your listening, and we appreciate the Mets uh, coming into their series in Baltimore, uh, where I believe, I don't want to scoop anything, but uh, one of us will be on hand. Yeah, I'll actually be in Baltimore uh, at, at Camden Yards, one of my favorite ballparks. Uh, first road games in person since the very start of last season. I went to the, the two games at Fenway last year. Uh, but it'll be nice to be in person and we'll see. Hopefully I am able to actually speak face to face with a major league baseball player for the first time in 16 months. I would appreciate, uh, I'm sorry, 15 months. Uh, that would be nice. Uh, I'm not, I, I've got my fingers crossed that that happens. Well, best of luck. And I can't wait to hear about it later in the week. Tim, peace out. Adios. Adios.